Welcome to this week's Point Community Church Sunday Sermon. If you'd like to learn more about the Point Community Church, please visit our website at tpcc.org.au. Well, after my uh, hip surgery, I have a new theory on pain meds. Now, pain meds are not just about pain, they also make you dopey which is sort of a good thing in the first 48 hours post-op. So there I was with all sorts of random people just coming into my room saying, show me your scar. It's right here. That's a bit private. That's a bit personal. I've got to let these people come in and just look. And and that that wasn't even the worst of it. You wake up realising you're hooked up to a catheter. And here's the thing. They don't let you take that out on your own. I've got a new theory on pain meds. It's not just about the pain, it's to make you dopey so you don't realise what's going on. Now, now, in all seriousness, thank God for professional medical staff. They take what could be a humiliating experience and do their best to make it a humbling experience. It is humbling to be an adult at the mercy of of another adult. And here's the thing about humility and humbleness. It's probably the most important virtue there is. And so I want to read to you from Philippians chapter 2 as we hear about Jesus' humility. Philippians 2 verse 4, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not, account, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There is more spiritual power packed into those verses than all of the nuclear bombs all combined. True greatness, true beauty, true love are seen in Jesus' humility. Uh, Today we're going to see Jesus' humility as he washed the disciples' feet. And then we're going to hear Jesus' call to humility as he says, now you go and do as I have done. But but just before we look at today's passage, a reminder of where we've been. In in 2022, we worked through John chapter 1 through 4. In 2023, we worked through John 5 to 12. And this year, we get to work through John chapter 13 through 17. Five chapters that contain three theologically rich narratives. The washing of the disciples' feet. We're going to look at that one tonight. Then Jesus' final teaching to his disciples. And then the high priestly prayer. Now in John 13 to 17, the chapters that we're looking at this term, so what we're hearing is Jesus' final preparation for his departure. This term, uh, we're looking at these five chapters and they begin 
with an extremely humble expression of Jesus' greatness. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Brother, sister, we know that Jesus is King of Kings and that He is Lord of Lords. We know the power of Jesus' death, His resurrection, His exaltation to the throne of the universe. But do we know Jesus' humility? We rightly celebrate the power of Jesus. We rightly celebrate the love of Jesus. Do we celebrate Jesus' humility? Tonight we're working through John 13, 1 to 17. Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And the first thing we're going to discover is that, that this was an act of Jesus' love. Then we're going to see that Peter had an objection to Jesus' act of love. And then we're going to finish with hearing Jesus tell each of us, now go, do as I have done. And so that's where we're headed. Jesus' love, Peter's objection, do as I have done to you. And so firstly, Jesus' love. You got your Bible open? John chapter 13. Let's read verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Four bits of refresher, seen as we've been out of John's Gospel for a year now. The first bit of refresher is, uh, we're looking at a Gospel and I encourage you to think of that as a lowercase g gospel. The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call them the four gospels. Uh, gospel in, in that use of the word gospel is actually a genre. It's a history, it's a biography. So, so the gospels of Jesus. But then we also use gospel with a capital G, don't we? The good news of Jesus Christ. The whole story of Genesis to Revelation, how Jesus was sent to save the world. There's the first bit of refresher. Second bit of refresher is that John's narrative style, let, let's say it was arty. I was a math science student. They were my strengths at school and university. Uh, John was obviously more in the arts department. As he writes his writing style, he uses lots of themes, like all the I am statements that we find through John. Uh, there's all the images, like the Lamb of God, the bread of life. Anyone who thirsts, let him thirst in me. Anyone who's hungry, let him feast on me. There's light, there's dark, there's the world. And then the fourth bit of refresher, no, no, third, we're only up to third, bit of refresher. The Jewish religious leaders hated Jesus. Do you remember that from last year? Uh, one of the places we see it is John 11, verse 53. So from that day on, they, the religious leaders, made plans to put him, Jesus, to death. And then the fourth bit of refresher, Jesus talked a lot about the hour. Uh, for instance, look at John chapter 12, verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. And so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come 
for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour keeps getting referenced. Jesus, it's usually on Jesus' lips. And Jesus is saying, my hour is coming. Jesus knew that his mission was to go to the cross. And so brothers and sisters, here's the good thing about that. The cross did not take Jesus by surprise. It was the Father and the Son and the Spirit's plan. Jesus' mission was to go to the cross. And so as we read about the hour in John chapter 13, verse 1, the drama is really escalating. And by really escalating, I mean really escalating. Because the Passover that's mentioned in John chapter 13, verse 1, occurred on a Thursday night. And on Friday, Jesus was nailed to the cross. The hour has come. Now, before we go on and keep reading, we need to set the scene a little bit. I've got some questions for you. Does Jesus have the name above all names? Yeah, yeah. yeah now that was just as lame as morning church, so let's keep working on this. Is Jesus king of kings? Yeah, yeah that was way better than morning church. Is Jesus lord of lords? Yes, and, and let's not just G each other up. Let's hear from God directly. Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Awesome, fall on your knees and worship power. This is our Jesus who we're about to look at from John chapter 13, verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. <laughs> Do you know any other king, any other manager, for any other leader, any other boss, that would be humiliating. Stripping off, kneeling down, touching feet, cleaning feet is degrading, is humiliating in any other paradigm of leadership. But for Jesus who is high, high, high and mighty, greatness is seen in going low, low, 
low and serving. In Jesus' lowly act, we see power and beauty and love and majesty. Jesus' humility reveals his true greatness. I'm a bit of a sport nut, but there is something that is increasingly annoying me about modern sport. It's all the chest flexing, the posturing, the roostering that goes on after somebody scores. You know, all the strutting and the, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's become infantile. I mean, it's their job. <laughs> you're supposed to score. You're not a hero, but celebrate, but you're not a hero. Now, there's my old man rant. Let's bring it back. What's my point? Jesus' chest flex. Jesus' posturing. Jesus' roostering was to strip off, to wrap a towel around his waist, to kneel down, grab feet, wash feet. Do you know he even washed the feet of Judas who betrayed him? Greatness, power, beauty, love. Brother, sister, you must read those verses. Go home, read those verses, prayerfully read them until the Holy Spirit stuns you with power and beauty and majesty and love. That was Jesus' love. Now we turn to our second point, Peter's objection. And we're going to read verses 6 to 11 together, and I'm going to highlight the deep spiritual meaning of this passage. You see, I think most of us pick up intuitively what the surface level meaning is, which we're going to look at in point three, but, but there's a deep spiritual, a deep gospel meaning in these verses as well. And so follow along as we read from verse 6. He, Jesus, came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. <laughs> Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash. In that short few words of verse 10, the beginning of verse 10, all of a sudden Jesus is picking up on everything that's gone before in John's gospel. You must be born again. You must come and thirst and feast on me in order to have eternal life. I am the shepherd. You can only get into the kingdom through me. Like everything Jesus has said, he's saying there in verse 10, Jesus, the one who is bathed does not need to wash. I am, I am, I am, I am perfect. Once I wash you, that's all done and dusted. You're okay with God, except for his feet, but is completely clean. So you don't need to bathe again, except for your feet, but is completely clean. We're going to come back to that in a moment. 
And you are clean, but not every one of you. For Jesus knew he was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Now, I reckon at this point, a question worth wrestling with, before we sort of move on with the meaning of the passage, if Jesus completely forgives us, if Jesus completely washes us, if Jesus perfectly converts us, if Jesus perfectly adopts us, justifies us, the very moment we put our faith in him, why do Christians still sin? Why do we still sin? There's a twin danger in answering this question. So there we are as Christians wanting to walk the narrow path toward God through Jesus and, and we think about our sin One danger is to go off the hill of following Jesus by going, well, sin doesn't really matter. All those things Jesus said about fighting sin, they don't really matter because I'm already forgiven. Uh, The other danger, though, is to so look at our sin, fall off the other side of the cliff and think, I'm not a Christian. I've gone and done it again. Or if I am a Christian, I'm not as good as those other Christians. I'm just a second-rate Christian. John chapter 13 1 John chapter 1, Romans chapter 7 are three of the clearest parts in the Bible to go to look at the Christian and remain in sin. I'm going to quickly just fly through and give uh, an alliteration, three Ps that Christians often use for this very question. Uh, The three Ps, power, presence, a penalty, power and presence. Jesus 100% releases us from the penalty of sin when we put our faith in him. No Christian will suffer hell, released from the penalty of sin forever once we put our faith in Jesus. And Jesus promised he would always be with us to the very end of the age. Jesus has, we're going to see in a couple of weeks, Jesus has sent the helper, the, the Holy Spirit. We have the power of Jesus to fight sin right now. Uh, some of your battles with sin are going to be really long. And they're sometimes going to be really in your face. I cannot believe I did that sin. I'm a Christian. Do not let the devil convince you you are powerless. Through Christ, you have the power of the Holy Spirit to fight that sin. Now, you might have to grab a couple of Christian friends to also help you. That's part of Jesus helping you fight that sin. But never believe you don't have power to defeat a particular sin. Keep going, brother, sister. Which brings us to the question, if we've been released from the penalty, we have the power of Jesus, why do we keep sinning? Why does God leave the presence of sin in his children? I don't think the Bible gives a clear answer. But as I reflect on my own personal sin, as I reflect on our collective sin, one thing's for certain. That should make us the most humble people on the planet. The presence, the ongoing presence of sin in our lives forces us back to the grace and mercy of God, which should make us humble. Okay, bringing this back to Peter's objection. I said we were going to explain a bit more of verse 10. You know, Peter said, you're not going to wash me, Jesus. Jesus said, well, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. 
To which Peter then goes, okay, well, wash all of me then, Jesus, not just my feet, do everything. And at that point, you'd sort of expect Jesus to say, would you just shut up, Peter? You're ruining my illustration. This is a good one. But Peter stuck with him. Peter stuck with him. And we've got verse 10. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash. So there's the gospel. Once you've put your faith in Jesus, you have been washed of all your sin, except for his feet. Now, you're still going to have the presence of sin. And so make sure as you, the Spirit reveals to you, you've sinned yet again, confess it and repent. It's not the big deal of the initial repentance we need to do to have life with God. But brother, sister, every day we wash our feet, we confess and we repent. There's the deep spiritual meaning of this passage. Through Jesus, we have release from the penalty of our sin. We have the power of the Spirit to fight sin. And then there is an ongoing presence of sin that we must continually confess and repent of. Peter's objection led to Jesus laying down the foundation of his good news. Only Jesus can wash us. Only Jesus can give us the power of his Spirit. Jesus will help us with our ongoing presence of sin. Okay, we've looked at Jesus' love. We've looked at Peter's objection, which taught us the deeper spiritual meaning of this passage. And so now we're going to come back to the surface level meaning of this passage. Go and do as I have done. Read from verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things... Blessed are you if you do them. Jesus' application is crystal clear. True followers of Jesus go low in order to lift others up. True disciples serve, not wait around to be served. And so here we are again, in, in, like in John chapter 13, and we're seeing the upside-down nature of Jesus' kingdom. And it's beautiful. Our natural way of thinking is that the best leaders have the most servants. In Jesus' kingdom, the best leaders serve the most people. And here's the thing. There is nobody worthy, more worthy, of praise and honour and glory than Jesus Christ. We're told that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right now, right now, there are thousands upon thousands and thousands of angels praising the name of Jesus. Right now, you and I, we, we know Jesus not only as uh, teacher and Lord, 
But we know that Jesus is Lord of Lords. He has the name that is above every name. And Jesus, he didn't hold that high, high, high glory. He released it and came down low in order to serve. Now ultimately, we see that at the cross. The glorious darling of heaven, naked, nailed to a cross. Jesus laid his life down for sinners. We see Jesus' true greatness in his humility. Now there's a two applications I want to close with as we consider Jesus' humility. Firstly, if you haven't yet handed your life over to Jesus, you must. Today, it might be humbling to admit that you need forgiveness. But there will be a day where it would be humiliating to realize that you spent your life ignoring Jesus' forgiveness. See, God is crystal clear. There's a day in the future that Jesus is going to return. We don't know the hour, we don't know the day, but he's coming back for judgment day. And that day will be too late to ask for forgiveness. And don't mistake what that day will be like. It won't be like, well, God, who are you to tell me to worship you? No, 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 no. It'll be, oh, my goodness. Look at the power. Look at the glory. Look at the beauty. Look at the love of Jesus. Why did I reject him? Friend, what if Jesus were to return tonight? I'm pleading, you must turn to him. So that's the first application. Jesus is king and saviour and everyone must turn to him. And the second application is for the Christians. That's most of us. Like This is... Church family, we're, we're brothers and sisters. We're glad if you haven't yet hooked in with Jesus. We, we want to help you get to know Jesus, but most of us have. And so the application for us, it, it's just crystal clear, isn't it? Jesus said, go and do as I have done. So, what sort of neighbor are you? What sort of friend are you? What sort of housemate are you? What sort of child, whether child, child or adult child, are you to your parents? Parents, what sort of parent are you? What sort of employee, what sort of boss are you? What are you like on the sporting field? What are you like on social media? 
Is humble a word that people would use to describe you? Are you more concerned about your reputation than the reputation of Jesus? Do you love, love, love to serve? Jesus' application, it's, it's just crystal clear. Go and do as I have done. And as we look at Jesus, what do we see? We see that humility is true greatness. Humility is true greatness. Now to the world, that, that just sounds like a contradiction. But for us who have seen Jesus, oh, humility is true greatness. And brothers and sisters, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Oh, I'm just a dirty scumbag. No, that's not humility. Humility is thinking of yourself less so that you can think of others. Jesus is humility. He didn't grasp hold of his godness. He let it all go so that he could think of us. Humility is true greatness. Go low in order to lift others up. Let me pray. Oh, Father God, there is a beauty and a power and a glory and a majesty that is found at the cross that is like no other. And so we pray that your spirit would come tonight and fill us again, give us eyes to see the glory of the upside-down kingdom. And then, Father, forgive us when we lack humility. Oh, but, but would you give us a hunger and a thirst to go and be your humble servants, eager, excited, loving to lift others up? We pray this for your glory and our joy. Amen. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for our latest sermon, or better yet, join us live at 9.30 or 5 p.m. Sunday. You can find all the details on our website at tpcc.org.au.